Good morning. Welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 4th of June. And today we're going to brief you on robo-debt. Will you be getting a refund? And given the government bungled the system itself, can you trust them to roll out the refunds properly? That story in just a moment. Right now, I'm joined by Jan Fran with some breaking news on the death of George Floyd. Yeah, good morning, Tom. We do have some news straight in from the United States. All four officers involved in George Floyd's killing will be charged. Now, this has come more than a week after his death. Attorney General Keith Ellison is increasing charges against Derek Chauvin to second degree in George Floyd's murder and also charging the other three officers. So Derek Chauvin is the officer who kneeled on George Floyd's neck for over eight minutes. Yeah, and he's now being charged with second degree murder. So the difference there is third degree murder is acting dangerously but without intent to kill. Second degree murder, which he's now being charged with, um, is a much more serious charge and defined as acting with intent to affect the death of a person. Yeah, and as you heard there, the other three officers will now be charged as well um, with aiding and abetting basically not doing anything as the incident unfolded. So that's huge news, Jan. And the Attorney General of the state of Minnesota has just given a press conference. Let's hear what Keith Ellison had to say. Today, I filed an amended complaint that charges charges former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin with murder in the second degree. Today, arrest warrants were issued that charges uh, police officer King, Lane and Tao with aiding and abetting murder in the second degree a felony offence. Yeah, so massive news there. Um, Later in that press conference, they also said that one of those police officers had already been arrested and the other two would be arrested soon. Um, They also addressed the the context for this investigation, the the, the week-long protest, the violence on the street and, and the weight of expectation on this investigation. We're here today because George Floyd is not here. He should be here. He should be alive, but he's not. About nine days ago, the world watched Floyd Utter his very last words, I can't breathe, as he pled for his life. The world heard Floyd call out for his mama and cried out, don't kill me. So that was a fascinating press conference to watch unfold there. The Attorney General of Minnesota um, talking about their investigation, where they're up to now, the weight of expectations, what's been going on on the streets. He also talked about the fact that there was a lack of trust in the police force and prosecuting these kind of matters. He, He said it straight up that... In the past, they've under-prosecuted these matters and haven't held people to account. And clearly, it, it just seems that he really gets the gravity of this situation and what needs to be done to find the truth. I mean, he is an African-American man himself. I don't know how much that has fed into it. Obviously, he's worked within the legal system his whole life. Yep. Uh, and, you know, he said it himself, the world is watching. The world is watching specifically the state of Minnesota and what he is going to do. Yeah. And he sort of responded to the the time pressure, like everyone wants a simple answer right now, mm. but to actually prosecute this case properly, they have to collect all the evidence and do a proper investigation. Yeah, absolutely. Yesterday, um, Roxy Washington, who is uh, the mother of George Floyd's six-year-old daughter, gave this heartbreaking press conference. We would never see her grow up, graduate. He would never walk her down the aisle. If there's a problem she's having and she needs her dad, she does not have that anymore. Yeah, so the emotion's still extremely raw there. Uh, at least 9,300 have now been arrested during more than a week of nationwide rallies over George Floyd's death. The family of an Indigenous teenager who was slammed face first into the ground in inner Sydney want the arresting officer charged. Uh, As is mum, I feel 
afraid of the whole process. I think I've got a natural paranoia of everything. That was his mum and his older sister also said that they're very angry. Watching this video as a family and seeing the appalling way this adult arrested a compliant child is chilling. In these moments, the response is often, what did they do to deserve it? When the response must be, this should have never happened. Yeah, the footage of the incident went viral on Monday. I imagine it must be a completely different thing watching that in your home mm. with your family, knowing that that's your son or your brother. Uh, the 16-year-old did make verbal threats to the officer. What happened then was the constable then placed the teenager's hands behind his back and swept his legs out from underneath him, so essentially just sending him crashing face first into the pavement. The young boy wasn't charged with anything and was being treated in hospital for a chipped tooth. And the boy's family has said they'll seek a civil prosecution if police don't take action. Uh, the New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller has apologised, but he also defended the officer. There was probably other ways that the officer could have dealt with that matter, no doubt. And I'd like to sit here and say that, you know, we won't make mistakes, but officers will make mistakes. That This officer doesn't have a chequered history and he's been in for three and a half years. For, for mine, if, if there certainly is complaints sustained against him, you would have to say he's had a bad day. A bad day. Really bad day for that kid. Yeah. He's ended up in hospital. Yeah, he seems to be having a slightly worse day. Yeah, so the officer's now on restricted duties uh, as an internal investigation is carried out by the Professional Standards Command. And to bad economic news for Australia, we're now in recession. After 29 years of uninterrupted economic growth, we are now in negative growth. Here's the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, admitting it yesterday. Is Australia in recession today? Well, the answer to that uh, is yes. There it is. All right, that's a pretty clear answer. It's yes, we are in recession. Now, a recession is technically two quarters of negative economic growth. Um, Yesterday, we learned that the January to March quarter went backwards. The economy shrunk by 0.3%. And the quarter that we're in now uh, is expected to go even further backwards because of the pandemic. Yeah, so that is bad news, but it's worth putting it into context. The average fall in GDP in OECD nations was 1.8%. So ours was only 0.3%, so not as bad. Um, China's economy shrunk by 9.8% in three months. For France and Italy, it was 5.3%. So actually, Australia's doing quite well. Yeah, it always helps when we compare Australia to the rest of the world, I find. Economically, it has been, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, in relation to the pandemic as well, our numbers and the flattening of our curve, it feels good to put us in a global context sometimes, I think. That was what ScoMo was saying on Monday. He was happy to be in Australia. Well, look at that. Am (laughs) I just parroting the Prime Minister? (laughs) It is good to be in Australia. Hey, also some good news um, for a a small subsection of the population, Mm. I would say. Um, If you've been thinking about doing renovations. Quite a big one. Quite a big one. Yep. The government will give you $25,000 to do it before the end of the year. Yeah. So this is an announcement that's going to come out today, but it's already all through the newspapers. The government have obviously dropped it. So the program will be worth $688 million. It's called the Home Builder Program. Um, And the idea is to stimulate work for carpenters, plumbers, tradies, people in the construction sector. Yeah, basically to get that sector uh, sort of up and running. Now, there are a couple of sort of ground rules here to be eligible. You have to be earning less than $125,000 or $200,000 as a couple. And you can use it to build a new home valued up to $750,000, this includes land, or you can use it towards renovations, but those renovations have to be worth between $150,000 and 
and $50,000. So it has to be a fairly big reno. Yeah, you can't just, you know, go in there and change the handles on your kitchen cabinets. That's, <laughs> that's, that does not count. You will be not be getting the money. I was really keen for a handle upgrade. <laughs> $25,000 handle upgrade. Yeah. That'd be nice. Sorry, mate. You're going to have to pay for that one from your own pocket. And overseas, yet another Aussie journo has been attacked. Earlier in the week, it was in the US. This time, it's in London, where Nine Sophie Walsh was covering a massive Black Lives Matter protest. Yeah, she was uh, on the television doing a live cross with Nine News Adelaide uh, last night when a man grabbed her and made stabbing motions. Dean, but it descended into... Oh, oh. God. Sorry. Sophie, you okay? Sorry, sorry. I just... Sophie? Yeah, I just had someone come up and try and... Yeah... You okay, Soph? Sorry. Um, it's all right, Sophie. Yeah, yeah, a man just came up and grabbed me. Oh, that's so hectic. That is so hectic. And you're already, you know, in the thick of it. You're already on live television. You know, you've got the adrenaline running. That's a, It's a really difficult position to be in when you're trying to do effectively your job and, and have that happen. And these reporters are also working in the middle of a pandemic as well. Like you think about the, the Channel 7 crew in America, what they're been dealing with. Even just being in an Australian overseas is hard right now, but to be like in amongst all these people in the middle of a pandemic, along with the intensity on the streets and all the violence surrounding you, pretty full on. Yeah, a lot of compounding factors for sure. Apparently her camera operator chased the man down with a tripod or a lighting stand and there were reports um, the attacker was armed with a screwdriver. He's since been arrested on threats to kill and also possessing an offensive weapon. Now, this attack follows an attack of a Channel 7 crew. This attack happened, though, in the United States earlier this week at a protest outside the White House. Um, and this was an incident that that the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, actually once investigated. All right, thanks for that, Jan. Um, in a moment, Annika will be back to talk about the robo-debt refund. Robo-debt. It's the story the government didn't want you to hear about. But last week, they admitted defeat and agreed to refund thousands of Aussies it sent flawed debts to as part of its controversial robo-debt recovery scheme. Yeah, this all started back in 2016 when the government began sending out debt notices to more than half a million Australians insisting they had to repay money because they'd been overpaid by Centrelink. The average debt was more than $2,000 and many of these notices arrived years after people had left jobs or moved cities, making it really hard to challenge the bills within 21 days. Yeah, this automated system was meant to be more efficient, using computers to compare income data from the tax office with the income reported to Centrelink. But it only took a few months before complaints started flooding in and the government was forced to admit that as many as one in five notices were incorrect. After all those complaints about the problem-riddled system, there was a number of inquiries and investigation by the ombudsman and eventually legal action into the botched scheme. And last week, the government made a huge retreat, agreeing to repay $721 million to almost half a million people that received debt notices. Yeah, this is unlikely to be the end of it, though. On top of paying back the debts, there's now a huge class action which could result in damages being paid on top of those refunds. So let's talk to someone directly affected by it. Emma, you got a $9,000 robo-debt bill in total, of which you already paid back around $7,000. How frustrating has this whole thing been for you? It was really frustrating. Um, I was paying it off a few years ago now, and that was at a time where I was doing the honours year of my degree, which was the most stressful year, and I wasn't working. So I was paying it off with the Centrelink youth allowance that I was actually earning. I was living away from home, and 
I hadn't really heard much in the news around that time of the Centrelink debts possibly being, you know, not accurate. So I felt so ashamed that I'd done something wrong and I didn't really understand how I had. So I kept quiet about a lot of it and I just paid it because I was afraid. And when it arrived, were you a little bit sceptical about, you know, owing so much money that you'd got it allegedly so wrong? Yeah, I was because I've never paid $9,000 for anything. I've never saved $9,000 for anything. It was just such a large amount of money just to see it there in front of me. I was absolutely shocked because it was for the whole year of Centrelink that I'd earned. They wanted me to pay back. So, you know, just to say that I should never have gotten it that year, I, I just didn't understand. I didn't understand at all. The fact that you then went and paid it back shows just how how hard it is to, to deal with that allegation and how, how alone you are and how complex it is to actually sort it out. And you just then pay it back even though you shouldn't have, which I guess now means you're going to get a massive refund that'll be like a forced saving. You must be pretty stoked. I, I won't know what to do with myself. Like The first thing I'm going to do is save it because you know I'm just finishing my PhD now and the employment options for the future are pretty limited. So actually, it'll be a real great help in a time right now where I'm already pretty stressed about the future and what's going on. Yeah, great to have a happy ending to that story for you, Emma. Thanks for speaking to us on The Briefing. Thanks so much. So that's how the whole saga has affected Emma personally. We know there's hundreds of thousands of other people out there directly affected by this. Either it's it's you or it's someone you know. So let's get the bigger picture on how this refund will roll out and how the class action might affect people as well. Joel Townsend is right across it. He's the program manager of economics and social rights at Victorian Legal Aid. And they've been acting on a lot of people dotted by robo debt. Joel, thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. How is the refund going to work? How will people like Emma get paid back? Well, there's a real lack of clarity uh, about this from our point of view. Uh, And we know that Centrelink's been plagued by problems with communication in the past. So, for example, they sent eight letters to the wrong address for our client before they unlawfully raised a debt against her. So we have some real concerns about uh, whether there might be people who are unable ultimately to get a refund. And we think it's really important that that process is done carefully and accurately. But we haven't yet heard the detail of how that's going to occur. Yeah, the government have said roughly around 300,000 people are going to be refunded, but we know almost half a million debt notices were sent out. So if this happened to someone, should they put their hand up? How will you know if you're entitled to a refund, I guess? Yeah, it's a really good question. We say, first of all, that it's Centrelink's responsibility to chase up these people, to find them and to refund money where it's been paid. Um, People can, um, of course, make contact with their local Centrelink office, can go to their MyGov account. The government has said that they don't need to do that, that they don't need to do anything. But if people are in any doubt, uh, my view is they should be pressing to clarify whether there was a robot raised in their case. And if there was, seeking to have it repaid as quickly as possible. Who can you go to if you feel like you're not getting a straight answer out of Centrelink over your refund? So you could go to your local community legal centre, to the Welfare Rights Unit or um, Economic Justice Australia, which is the national body for um, welfare rights units. Uh, You could go to your local 
Legal Aid Commission and seek advice from them. Uh, some people will want to get help from a financial counsellor or other a trusted advocate. So there are a number of sources uh, of assistance, uh, but the first thing to do, I think, would be to press Centrelink and to say, what's happening with my debt? Was it a robo-debt and am I getting it paid back? Joel, to play devil's advocate here, if I received more money than I was entitled to from my bank or something, I possibly would have to pay it back. So how did the government get this so wrong? They're still legally allowed to chase debts people owe the government, but what was wrong with this system? So it's long been the case that government has used data matching, has has gathered information about the income that Social Security recipients have received um, to check that they've accurately reported their income and in some circumstances to raise debts. What they did here was take annualised Australian Taxation Office data, break it into even fortnightly chunks and make an assumption that that was what people earned. These were people who were on youth allowance, who were studying and working intermittently. People who were on, on new start allowance, who were trying to get into the workforce. They were highly unlikely to have earned money evenly throughout the year. So it was basically a formula for inaccuracy. It was almost inevitable from the outset that it was not going to be an accurate basis for raising debts. So we don't have any problem with government uh, carefully looking at people who have re received Social Security, checking that they've properly declared their income and raising debts if necessary. But here, this was a system which was flawed from the outset. Everybody who looked closely at it said that it was flawed from the outset. And from the very beginning, there were concerns raised about its lawfulness. So was it only the lawsuits from Victorian Legal Aid and now the class action with Gordon Legal that have forced the government to back down because they, they defended this for years. They did, and there was extensive commentary at an early point in the rollout of this system from experts in the area who said, this just doesn't stack up when you look at it against the social security legislation. And indeed, there's an independent tribunal which looked at some robotic cases and said, these debts simply don't stack up. And rather than taking that on board and reconfiguring the process and thinking about what a lawful and accurate process might look like, the government charged on. So yes, it was only when the matter came to court uh, and that ultimately resolved late last year that the government effectively conceded that robo-debt was unlawful and that all of those debts were not properly raised. So that meant they changed their process and they needed more data points, but then they've made this further admission last week. Not only do they need to change the process, they need to repay everyone. And, and that's part of this class action that's now pushing for damages to be paid on top of the debts. So how, how likely are they to win that class action and how much extra might someone get paid uh, in damages on top of their debt? So there's a limit to what I can say about that just because it's, it's not our class action. Um, it's being run, as you say, by Gordon Legal. I understand that they are seeking damages for the harm that was caused to people as a result of these debts being raised. So if that is accepted as a basis on which people can make a claim, then, then it might be that the government is on the hook for uh, additional um, uh, payments to Social Security recipients. Um, that, as I understand it, is um, going to mediation soon and going to hearing a little later in the year. And we'd just encourage people who ha have 
received a robo-debt or, or who are concerned that they might have had a robo-debt to understand both their rights under social security law, but also to look into the question of, of whether they have rights um, in terms of the class action. Now, Joel, a lot of government systems are based on income averaging. You can't have every Aussie ring up at the end of every day and say how much we earn. Childcare is one example. Does this mean there might be more cases, I guess, for people that have, um, I guess, been charged the wrong amount or, or vice versa, had a debt that they perhaps didn't need to repay? Does this open up a real Pandora's box for more issues? Well, I think that what it shows is that... Um, Government needs to be very careful to design systems which are both fair and accurate as well as compliant with the law. So the problem here was one of, I think, very thoughtless design. It was uh, This was a process where there was no transparent process of preparing this system for operation involving the input of users, involving the input of experts and advocates. And I think if government doesn't do that careful process of design when it's creating debt collection processes, then it does risk overstepping both in terms of law and in terms of fairness. That was Joel Townsend from Victorian Legal Aid. Annika, is this one of the biggest bungles we've seen in federal politics? Yeah, and I think on the inside, they've known for a while that it was um, going to be a problem for them. It was finding a solution and a way out. And um, as Joel touched on there, when there's legitimate cases that people have been overpaid or done the wrong thing, then sure, the government should be able to get their money back. But this was flawed from months after it first started and um, has just been ridden with issues the whole time. So look, it's been a four-year saga, but I don't think the government will be rushing back into this sort of um, debt collection technique in the future. All right. Thanks, Annika. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening to the briefing. Tomorrow on the briefing, Jan Fran will be back as we look at a a good news story. Is the Australian drought breaking? Um, We're going to speak to some farmers. Super exciting. That's the briefing tomorrow. I look forward to speaking to you then. A podcast one production.